we continue to work our way through the Psalms, we come this evening to what has become in these last two plus years my undisputed favorite of all the Psalms in the collection. And I'll invite you to turn there with me now to the 107th Psalm. Psalm 107. Before we begin, I have to confess that there's a part of me that almost doesn't want to preach this psalm. Um, It's almost too precious to me, too uh, sacred to me, because this psalm, 107, was uh, in my darkest nights and in my deepest dungeons, one of the very few little rays of light that seemed to be able to break through to me. So uh, for me, when despair and fear, which some of you will know about, Uh, seemed day by day to wash me overboard. Uh, Psalm 107 became my life preserver, thrown out to me again and again by my wife uh, and listening to it in song and keeping me afloat uh, when few other things seemed to do so. And so because it's so uh, precious to me, I know this evening that I won't be able to do it justice. I won't be able to convey to you uh, what this psalm means to me. But at the end of the day, that's not the important thing in preaching, is it? The important thing in this sermon is not what the psalm means to me. The important thing is what the psalm says and how the Holy Spirit intends to apply it to you. And so I go forward. And what the psalm says, if I can give you a preview, is that God is there for people who cry to him in the dark. God is there for people who cry to him from the ends of their ropes. God is there when your soul faints within you. He's there when sin has brought you low. He's there when you are so distressed that you can't even eat. (coughs) God is there when your circumstances leave you reeling and staggering like a drunken man and at your wit's end. God is there, this psalm says, for those who are oppressed, for those who are depressed, for those who think they can't make it one more day in this world. When you cry to the Lord in your trouble, trusting Him and believing in His salvation and in His Son, Psalm 107 reminds you that God is there and He is a Redeemer. He is a Redeemer. He is able to rescue His people no matter how deep their pit of despair may be, no matter how hard the waves may crash upon them, no matter how long you've worn the shackles of sin, No matter how ugly the sin, no matter how parched your soul may be, God is there to hear the prayers of his people. And so tonight, if you live with depression, if you have known despair, if you feel lost and alone, if it seems like your life is a continual storm at sea, if you know what it is to try to pray and all that will come out are groans and sobs, this psalm is for you. And if you've never known the deepest pits that this world has to offer, this psalm is also for you because someday you probably will. Someday you will find yourself, as this psalm presents, reeling and staggering like a drunken man because of some difficulty of providence thrown into your way, maybe even because of your own sin, although not always. And you'll need Psalm 107 then. And you'll need the God of Psalm 107 then. And so listen to him now, the great friend and redeemer 
of those who are living in the dark. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. He changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water, and there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. Also, he blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt Upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction and makes his families like a flock. The upright see it 
and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Father, I pray that we will be among those who are wise tonight in that we will give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord. Help us give heed, and you give your help to me now as I speak. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Verse 1. This is the third consecutive psalm that offers that exhortation in the very first verse. Oh, give thanks to the Lord in Psalm 105 because he is a covenant-keeping God, remembering his promise to Abraham and fulfilling it to his descendants after many generations. Oh, give thanks to the Lord in Psalm 106 because he is good to his people even in spite of their sin. And in Psalm 107, oh, give thanks to the Lord, verse 1, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And particularly, he is good, and he shows loving kindness to his people when they are stuck in a bad way, when they are in desperate need of being redeemed, verse 2, when they are in the dark, when they are sunk low and cry out to their God to rescue them and reverse their fortunes. God is good even when you're in the dark. Now that's exactly where the people of God were back in Psalm 106, was it not? Remember what we said uh, last this past Sunday. Psalm 106 was written from exile, where the children of Israel had gone because of their sin. The psalmist didn't write Psalm 106 from the promised land, but from a foreign land of captivity, which is why he prays in Psalm 106, verse 47, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations. Psalm 106 was written when the people of God were in exile and when they needed to be redeemed. But when we come to Psalm 107, they have been, as verses 2 and 3 inform us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Do you see how God answered the prayer of Psalm 106, verse 47? The commentator, Franz Dalich, puts it like this. Thanks are given in verse 3 for what was desired in verse 47. Thanks are given in Psalm 107, verse 3, for what was desired in Psalm 106, verse 47. The psalmist prayed that God would gather his people from among the nations, and by the time Psalm 107 was written sometime later, the Lord has done it, gathering them from the lands, verse 3, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. In other words, when the psalmist cried out to God, In the trouble of the people of Israel, in Psalm 106, God met his people in their great trouble and he redeemed them. He reversed their fortunes so that Psalm 107 is a praise to the God who redeems. And that really is what this 107th Psalm is all about. God redeeming his people when they cried to him so that they might praise him for his goodness. 
God reversing his people's fortunes. In all of these little episodes that we read, God reversing his people's fortunes when they pray to him, even from the deepest pits, so that they might praise him. And the psalmist just walks us through a number of real-life situations in which people find themselves at their wit's end, and he points out how when those people, quote, cried out to the Lord in their trouble, he saved them out of their distresses. That phrase is repeated almost verbatim four times in this psalm. Verse 28, verse 19, verse 13, and verse 6. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. This is the kind of God we serve, brothers and sisters. A God who hears our cries and delivers. If you belong to Jesus, if you belong to this God through Jesus, then this is your God. And maybe one of these situations unfolded in Psalm 107 will mirror your situation. Maybe as you listened, you found yourself seeing yourself in the reflection of the lost travelers in verses 4 through 9, or the prisoners in verses 10 through 16, or the sick ones in 17 through 22, or maybe the flooded sailors in 23 through 32, or the hungry in 33 through 38, or the oppressed in 39 through 42. Maybe one of those scenarios, one of those little vignettes that is painted for us will remind you of yourself. And as you see it, you will get help from their stories of redemption. Now, of course, the psalmist throughout this psalm is presenting the cases of real-life sorts of situations in which people find themselves desperate and afraid and crying out to the Lord about physical difficulties primarily. And for those who literally face those sorts of physical difficulties, this psalm would obviously be quite helpful. So, for instance, what a blessing it could be if a group of commercial seamen had verses 23 through 32 printed somewhere on the inside of the cabin of their fishing boat to remind them of what they should do when the waves get unmanageably high. There is help here for for people who are literally wandering in the wilderness or literally in a storm at sea. But I also think that these... Instances of physical trouble, storms at sea, dungeons and chains, desert wastelands and so on, are intended by the Holy Spirit as well to mirror what are sometimes the troubles of our souls. Indeed, I suspect that some of you picked up on that as we read. Maybe some of you haven't literally found yourself wandering in a physical wilderness, lost and thirsty and unsure when you might see the next signs of civilization. As we read in verse for and following, but your soul may have felt like that, and you may have resonated with those verses because of it. And your soul may sometimes have felt like a swamped sailor, or like a prisoner in chains, or like the victim of the oppression of an evil prince in verses 40 through 41. And that's how I want us to approach the various scenarios in this psalm. Obviously, If you're struggling in a physical sense in any of the ways that the psalmist describes, this psalm will encourage you to cry out to to the Lord in your trouble and wait for his redemption in that way. And if you're God's child, he will grant it, either in this life or in the next. But I want us primarily to focus this evening on matters of the soul and to remind you that God will rescue us even out of the spiritual dungeons 
and storms and deserts too. And I want to say to you, first of all, that sometimes your soul can feel like the lost travelers in verses 4 and following. The lost travelers, they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Here are people out in the desert trying to find some sign of civilization and they can't find it and it's been long enough that they've been out there that they're out of food and they're out of drink and they can't find any of that either. And maybe that's what some of you felt like in your own unconverted condition of your soul. Wandering, lost, hungry, thirsty, and not sure where you might find help. But you cried out to the Lord in your trouble. Maybe even as a last resort. Maybe you weren't even sure that there was a Lord out there listening to your prayer. But you tried it just the same. You cried out to the Lord and he led you to an inhabited city. He brought you to a church, to a group of Christians who welcomed you. And who fed you spiritually. And told you more about this God to whom you had prayed. And about his son, Jesus Christ. And you cried out to him again with more knowledge this time. That he would save you from your sins. And he did so. He has satisfied the thirsty soul, is the testimony of some of you. And the hungry soul, he has filled with what is good. Or maybe you've sometimes felt like these travelers, even since your conversion to Christ, spiritually alone, without a soul or with a soul that was underfed or malnourished, looking here and there in hopes of finding bread and finding very little. And you cried out to the Lord to help you. And God led you to an inhabited city. God led you to a church and to a group of people where you were well fed. To a church where the banquet of God's word was spread out for you every single week. Maybe sometimes more well cooked than others. But finally you had food. And you can now say with the psalmist in verse 9, He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul He has filled with what is good. Or maybe these verses simply remind you of a period of just general dryness in your soul. The drought perhaps wasn't in the church as much as it was in your own heart. And you knew you needed revival and refreshing and new wine from the Holy Spirit. And you prayed for it. And then one day, perhaps without any warning, you opened your Bible or you sat down in these pews for a sermon and the taps seemed to be open once again. And verse 9 became your testimony once more. He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. And what should be your response? Wilderness traveler who has found the city of God, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, verse 8, and for his wonders to the sons of men. Praise the Lord tonight if you've wandered long in the wilderness of your sin or of just the wilderness of not having fellowship, not being fed. Praise the Lord if you found an inhabited city. For some of you, that metaphor will be quite meaningful, I'm sure. For others of you, maybe some of the same of you, you'll identify quite well with the prisoners in the next few verses, verses 10 and following. The prisoners. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none 
to help. Some of you know what that feels like too. Some of you can easily amen the Apostle Paul when he speaks of our natural state as one of bondage to sin. Now, many sinners don't have eyes to see how dark their dungeons really are and that their legs are fastened in irons, which will eventually weigh them down to the pit of hell. But praise God if you realized that you were a slave to sin, that you were shackled because of it. Praise God if you knew how dark your dungeon really was. Because though you couldn't unlock the chains, at least you knew you were bound by them, right? At least you were miserable enough that you would cry out finally in verse 13 to the Lord, to the only one in the universe who has lock cutters strong enough to break the bands of sin apart. And when you cried out to him, when you called out to this God through Christ to save you, he did so, didn't he? He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. For some of you, your salvation seemed like you were lost and suddenly you were found. For some of you, it seemed like you were enslaved because you were. And suddenly you met Christ and as Charles Wesley has written, your chains fell off and your heart was free. And now while you still struggle with sin, maybe even some of the same sin as before, there's a big difference isn't there? Now you struggle with your sin, not in the darkness, but in the light. Now you seek accountability for your sin. Now you have friends praying for you. Now you know forgiveness, and now you're no longer shackled like you were before. Before, you almost really couldn't help yourself, could you? So twisted were the desires of your heart. But now you get the victory over those sins many times, don't you? Now you know you don't have to keep doing what used to seem compulsory to you. Sin is no longer your master. The chains are broken and the prison bars have been cut away. Some of you right now perhaps are thinking of very specific sins that once had your number, that once had you chained up in a filthy dungeon and you couldn't escape, but no more. Because Christ came in and he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Verse 16. And if that is you this evening, heed the words then of verse 15. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. It is a wonder when some of us look at what we were and see even in our imperfection what we are now. It is a wonder to the sons of men that God has changed us more and more into the image of Christ. Let them give thanks to the Lord. And then there's the picture in verses 17 through 22 of the sick ones. The sick ones in verses 17 and following. Particularly, these verses refer to people who are ill, not simply because of the general curse of sin that is on the world, but these people are ill because of some specific sin in their own lives. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Now I can't decide for sure if the psalmist has in mind here those who are physically ill because of their sin so that they can't eat and are near to death with their disease. Or if he's describing those who are suffering a kind of emotional illness such that Verse 18, they can't bring themselves to eat because they're too miserable and such that they don't want 
to live, even though they do. Both kinds of illnesses are common, aren't they? And both, I suppose, can be the result of sin. Both physical illness and great emotional distress can be brought on by long years of sin habits. Either just the natural way that sin habits destroy us, or sometimes as a direct intervention of God to make us ill and to chastise his own. And I wonder if you've ever been in either one of those places, either physically or emotionally sick because of your rebellious way. Verse 17. You knew that your discomfort and your misery were your own fault because of your iniquities. And maybe you even thought that since you had brought all this upon yourself, that God probably wouldn't be too interested in hearing your prayers about your suffering. And so you just laid there, miserable, nauseous, depressed, alone, hopeless about the situation. But that's not what the psalm encourages you to do, is it? No, listen again. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. They didn't just wallow in it. They didn't think that because it was their own fault, God didn't want to hear. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's something like we saw in Psalm 106, isn't it? The people just keep sinning against God over and over again. But when they cry out, when they finally turn back, when they come to their senses and repent and call out on him for mercy, he gives it over and over and over again. And here it is with these individuals who are sick emotionally or or spiritually or physically because of their sin. They cry out and God answers. Now note well the psalmist doesn't say when God answers. He doesn't say that the Lord healed them immediately. And sometimes we may have to suffer a little while under the Lord's hand of discipline to make sure that we've learned our lesson. The Israelites, you remember, were in exile 70 years before they came back, which is celebrated in this psalm. But when the time was right, they did come back. When their season in time out had run its course, God heard the prayer of Psalm 106, verse 47, and brought them home. And when God has seen that you have suffered enough and that you have learned from your discipline all that he intended for you to learn, then he will bring you home too. He will heal you too. The depression will give way. The nausea will cease. The mist of death will lift from off of your life and you will walk and you will sing once more. Sometimes it may not be until you reach the far shores on the other side of the river of death, but you will walk and you will sing once more if you will cry out to the Lord in repentance and faith. And when you do, says the psalmist in verse 21 and 22, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Now please don't understand what's being taught here. Neither I nor the psalmist am saying that every illness or every bout with emotional sickness or depression 
are the result of rebellion in your life. Hear that well. I'll say it again. Neither I nor the psalmist are saying that every illness or every spiritual or emotional depression that you feel is the result of rebellion in your life. But the psalm does say that sometimes they are. And if we're attuned to our own sin habits, we may often realize when they are. But just because depression and or illness can be brought upon us by sin does not mean that we don't still have a warrant to pray for God's help in the midst of it. Verse 19 says exactly the opposite, doesn't it? And so, even more dramatically, does the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember Romans 5.8? Jesus died for us, quote, while we were yet sinners. He took the penalty of sin for us while we were yet sinners. He loved us while we were yet sinners. And so why would he not hear our prayers for mercy under his hand of discipline, even if that discipline is brought upon us precisely because we are sinners? He may make us wait it out for a while until we learn our lesson, but his ears are not closed to us simply because we blew it again. The Father loved us, Romans 5.8, even when we were still sinning. Christ died for us even when we were still committing our sin. And so surely Father and Son will listen to us even when we're still suffering for our sins. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And now... Fourthly, in keeping with the truth that our sufferings and sorrows are not always directly related to our sins, let's consider also the sailors in verses 23 and following. The sailors, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wit's end. Now here's my favorite portion of my favorite psalm. Here's the part of the psalm that has come home most powerfully to my heart. Partly because our family learned to sing verses 23 through 31 in the last couple of years, but also because these verses about the sailors at sea seem to uh, resonate so deeply with my own struggles. And I dare say that there is many a Christian who stood on the same decks with me and with these sailors, some of you in this room even, with waves of difficulty crashing down upon you so that your life felt like a tiny toy boat out on the open sea tossed up and down by the waves with no human recourse, and you yourself reeling and staggering like a drunk person and at the end of your wits. Some of you perhaps can remember situations like this in your life. Some of you might be living in them right now. Times when difficulties came upon you like a storm at sea and you felt tossed to and fro by them so that you didn't know which way was up. There's fear. There's despair, there's depression and the like that come with these things. Well, this portrait of the sailors is included in Psalm 107, I think, because such situations are not uncommon for God's people. 
It's not uncommon to feel that your circumstances are bouncing you up and down, verse 26, so that one minute you're on the crest of a wicked wave and feeling totally out of control as it carries you along, and the next minute it lets you go and slams you down face first against the surface of the sea. And then it starts all over again, perhaps. It's not uncommon in the Christian life to feel like your soul is melting away, verse 26. It's not uncommon to reel and to stagger, to be at your wit's end. Many of you can whisper a hushed amen to these verses. Many of you know that the call to follow Jesus is not a call to sail for the rest of your days in smooth waters. And perhaps this particular portion of the psalm will be a real help to you in praising God for the way he's delivered you from the rough waters. And if you haven't been in those waters yet, if you haven't been on the deck of this ship yet, when it seems to be rolling all beyond anyone's control, well then I hope this portion of the psalm will help you not to be surprised or angry with God when you are on the deck of the ship. And as we look at these verses, it's worth noticing that the psalmist says that these sailors, fishermen, merchant marines, whoever they were, it's worth noting that the psalmist says in verse 24 that they have seen the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. They've seen His wonders. And when he says they have seen the works of the Lord... I don't just think he's speaking about the Lord's works of deliverance in verses 28 and following, because look at what we read in verse 25 about the Lord. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. He spoke and raised up a stormy wind. The very storm that was tossing these men about so that they were reeling and staggering And at their wit's end was called up by the voice of the Lord, verse 25. And here's a reminder that even when they don't come upon us because of our sin, the storms in our life, the difficult circumstances, the events which make us reel and melt, the staggering providences are just that. They are providences. Not happenstances, but providences. Wind and waves and trials of our faith are sent by a wise and good heavenly father. There's nothing in this psalm that says that these sailors were caught in the midst of this storm because of their sin, and yet they were still in the midst of a storm, and the storm was still sent by God. And God has his reasons for sending the storms, doesn't he? Not least among them is so that his people may not forget to cry out to their God. Here is one among many possible purposes for the storms in your life to teach you to pray. Because sometimes our prayer can be formal, can't it? We have a nice prayer list, which is a good thing, and we carefully work our way through it every day or every week, which is also a good thing. But having done that each day or each week, we can come to be sometimes pretty formalized in our cries to God so that they're not actually cries anymore but just calm recitations of the sort of things Christians ought to be praying about. And that's not a good thing if our prayers become rote. But let the waves begin coming in over the edge of the boat. Let us be thrown in the matter of a few seconds from the crest of a wave to a face plant 
in the Atlantic Ocean. Let us begin to sense that if God doesn't do something, we're going to drown in our fears, in our doubts, in our pain, in our sorrow, in our debt, or in whatever else may be mixed in with the waves. And then we will find ourselves praying and praying earnestly and desperately and sincerely, maybe not as beautifully, maybe not as carefully as before, but then we will cry out to the Lord, verse 28, when we are really in trouble. And so if difficulties teach us anything, perhaps they teach us to really pray. And that's a good thing. And listen to what happened when these sailors prayed. Verses 28 and following, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet, so he guided them to their desired haven. Now, Psalm 107 isn't the only place where we've seen this exact scenario, is it? In fact, let me just read to you from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And the last few verses of the chapter, 35 through 41. On that day when evening came, he, Jesus that is, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this Jesus? He's the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of Psalm 107. If you want evidence that Jesus is fully God, that he is indeed God come into the world as a man, you look at his calming of the sea and you read Psalm 107 and you say, this is the same guy. This is the same God. But what about us? Well, it's true that Jesus rebukes his disciples for having too little faith. They were more afraid than they should have been. And maybe sometimes so are we when the waves crash on our own lives. But I want you to see, both in Psalm 107 and in Mark chapter 4, that however large or small the sailor's faith, the mercy of God still answered it. Isn't that right? The disciples didn't have the faith they should, but the mercy of Jesus, the God-man, still answered their prayer. Because that's what our God is like, isn't it? Our God delights in hearing and answering the cries of His people, even when, as in Mark chapter 4, the faith behind those cries is not what it should be. And in saying that, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of faith or to say that it's okay that the disciples' faith was small. I'm rather trying to maximize your understanding of the goodness of God and His willingness to answer even the most feeble prayers. And he does answer prayers, doesn't he? He answers Psalm 107, 28 kinds of prayers. 
Sometimes when you begin to cry out to the Lord, He calms your circumstances, as in this psalm. Other times when you cry out to the Lord, He doesn't calm your circumstances, but He calms you. Like the Moravian Christians with whom young John Wesley was caught in a storm out on the Atlantic, and he observed them singing calmly in the midst of the storm. And he realized in his unconverted state that he needed what they had. Sometimes I say to you, God causes the storm to be still, as in verse 29, and hushes the waves of the sea. And sometimes he causes the waves in our own souls to be still. So that after having let our requests be known to him, Philippians 4, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds, even if the sea still rages. But be assured that it is God who calms the storms. And that he loves to do so, Psalm 107 and Philippians 4, in response to prayer. And so I just wonder if there's something that you're trying to fix right now when you should be praying. You're bailing water. And often there's a place for that. Maybe even in this circumstance you need to be bailing water. But not at the expense of prayer. And when you have prayed... With thanksgiving on the front end, as Paul instructs in Philippians 4, then there should also be thanksgiving on the back end too. Verses 31 and 32. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. Some of you have done that even tonight in our praise time. Extolled him in the congregation of the people. That's what we do when God brings us through the storm. And that's what I do tonight as I tell you that this psalm was such a help to me. God met me in the midst of my storm and he rescued me. And he will do that to you if you will call out to him. In fact, did you notice... That those words of praise in verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Did you notice that those words are repeated exactly four times in the psalm? You see it in verse 8. You see it in verse 15. You see it in verse 21. And again here in verse 31. Remember we said that the prayers of the afflicted are repeated four times in the psalm. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And God's deliverance is repeated four times in the psalm. He delivered them out of their distresses. And so it is appropriate also that in each instance, and in each instance of answered prayer in our lives, thanksgiving be repeated as well. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Now in verse 33, the verbal pattern changes. From verse 6 through 32, we have four accounts that each unfold in the same way. Trouble, a cry for help, the Lord's deliverance, and the appropriate thanksgiving that we've just been talking about. But the last two illustrations of God's goodness to his people in trouble don't follow exactly the same verbal pattern, but they do teach us the same truths about God. So notice now in the fifth place, God's mercy to the needy. To the needy in verses 33 through 38. Here in these verses, there is a reminder, first of all, of God's prerogative to judge as well as to rescue. Note that well. He changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste. 
because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. If you refuse to cry out to the Lord, if you refuse to repent, if you choose to continue walking in wilderness, don't be surprised if you find yourself living in the darkness that we talked about in verses 17 and 18. Don't be surprised if you find yourself living on the parched ground described here in verses 33 and 34. God does judge sin many times in this life as these verses describe. And he certainly judges it in the next life of which the thirsty ground and the salt waste in these verses are only a tiny shadow. And yet the Lord can also do the opposite, can't he? He takes rivers and makes them into wilderness springs and makes them into thirsty ground, but he can do the opposite too. He can take once barren ground and make it into a little slice of paradise, verses 35 through 38. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city and sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. Also, he blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. Here is God's mercy to the needy. And again, God sometimes does these sorts of things for those who are needy and hungry in this life. I think of the experience of so many children, especially in third world countries, who are abandoned or who are orphaned and who have almost nothing to their names, but who are scooped up by Christian couples and adopted and granted everything that a child could ever need. Here is Psalm 107 in action. God's love to the needy and to the hungry in action. Maybe some of us will be called to be the hands of that love. But again, there's a spiritual parallel to these things too, isn't there? Both when we think of the barren land of an individual sinner's heart and also when we think about barren regions of the world which have so long been gospel starved. Verses 35 and 36 apply to both of those situations too, don't they? He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that they may establish an inhabited city. Think about a nation like China. Once so gospel starved when the early missionaries like Lottie Moon arrived there. But according to Jason Mandrick's Operation World, which... I hope all of you would get if you don't have it. According to that book published in 2010, there were in that year 75 plus million evangelical Christians in China and rising. 75 million. Now that's still a fairly small minority, but nothing like it would have been when Lottie Moon got there. And new house churches are forming all the time and little pools are popping up in the wilderness, and a fruitful harvest, verse 37, is being gathered out of the Chinese portion of God's vineyard. God takes wildernesses, and he changes a wilderness into a pool. And let me say that verses 35 and following through 38 also have application not only to gospel springs popping up in once unconverted hearts and in once unreached lands but these verses also give us a paradigm for revival for personal revival for a revival in local churches and whole regions and nations where the situation has become much more like a wilderness and a salt waste than it ever ought to have become i don't have long to dwell here tonight but if your soul is dry and parched and unfruitful right now, 
you're not what you once were, call out to the Lord who changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs. And pray this for many in our church who are not where they should be and who are not what they once were. And pray this way for whole churches who have dried out like the American Dust Bowl and for the church in our land which is in desperate need, not of more activity and not of more influence, but of a return to real spiritual life. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water. And then we must look ever so briefly at God's goodness in verses 39 through 42 to the oppressed. The oppressed. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high, away from affliction, and makes his families like a flock. The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. We can make application of these verses again of those who are depressed, who are despairing in the Christian life. Some of that is our own lack of faith, and some of it is because there is a prince, the prince of the power of the air, who wants to beat down God's people and destroy them with doubt and fear and depression. But when they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste, but he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction. God has done that for some of you. We can make application of these verses too to those who are even more radically spiritually oppressed by the prince of the power of the air. The sort of people oppressed by demons to whom Jesus showed so much compassion in his earthly ministry. Those people are still around today. I visited the psychiatric ward a couple of times recently and without at all suggesting that all or even most of those people with severe mental illnesses Uh, are suffering from something akin to New Testament demonic oppression. Without suggesting that is normally the case, the thought did cross my mind as to how many of these people that I see wandering these halls might really be under the devil's thumb, just like some of the poor souls that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how I long to see those people clothed and in their right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus. God can do that, brothers and sisters. He can release people from the shackles of the prince of the power of the air. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes, but he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction. And we must pray that he would do it in our city. And let me say that these verses apply also to our brothers and sisters in the world tonight who are being oppressed and who are being persecuted by earthly princes too. Some of them are in prison for their faith. Some of them are having to worship this week in secret. Some of them are widowed and orphaned because their husband or their father was carried away by some sort of secret police or by an angry mob because he opened his Bible and he opened his mouth like I'm doing right now with the words of God. Pray 
verses 39 through 42 for them, my friends. Pray that these words would be true for the persecuted church. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high, away from affliction, and makes his families like a flock. I draw these thoughts from one of my favorite little series of books. They're children's books by a man named Douglas Bond, uh, the Crown and Covenant series that just detail the sufferings of uh, Scottish Christians um, that were called the Covenanters in the 1600s. And towards the end of the series, he puts uh, the words of verse 40 in the mouths of one of his characters to describe how God takes care of his people even against princes and kings who persecute them. He pours contempt upon princes, but he protects his people. Pray that he will. Now, what's the conclusion of all these things? We've covered a lot of ground tonight, haven't we? We've gone out into the wilderness with the psalmist. We've dropped down into the dark of a dungeon. We've sat in the gray, dim light of sickness and depression. We've been out on the high seas with their deathly storms. We've walked the psych ward, and we've looked through the prison bars at the persecuted church. And what is the conclusion of it all? What's the takeaway from Psalm 107? That God is there in all these places, hearing his people's cries and upholding them in their misery and answering their prayers. He is a rescuer. He is a reverser of his people's ill fortunes. He is a redeemer of those who are lost, those who are enslaved, those who are depressed, those who are staggered, those who are needy, those who are oppressed, and every sort of person in between who lives in this broken and fallen world and who will cry out to him in repentance and faith. This is what your God is like, if he really is your God, through faith in Jesus. He is a redeemer. And so... Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindnesses of the Lord.